HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating Valentine's Day. Whether it's your favorite day of the season or you avoid it like the plague, there's no debating. It's a big day for the world of food and hospitality. Valentine's Day is what we uh, refer to in the industry as a blackout day. I don't feel that my manlyhood is threatened when I order a glass of rosé or, God forbid, a rosé champagne. It's an old Jamaican drink from way back, and we just decided to bring it back into existence. It's a drink that the men, they believe it really does wonders. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to HRN Happy Hour. It's five o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson, the communications director here at HRN, and I'm joined by my co-host Katie Mosman Wadler, our executive director. Hey, Kat, how's it going today? It's great. Happy Thursday. How are you? It's uh, springtime. It is. It is. We've just come in from outside, so we're like a little extra jazzed up right now. Um, we've got a full house in the studio. We have our wonderful program manager, Hannah Forden. Happy Thursday and happy like first nice day in uh, I don't know a decade. Yeah, <laughs> how long? Yeah, it seems like a minute. Yeah. Uh, also welcoming for the first time making her debut on HRN Happy ooh, Hour, ooh, our ooh. brand newest member of our intern team, the wonderful Aaliyah Papes. Hi everyone! Yay. So glad to have you. Second day. Yes. How's it going? Great, great. So very far, happy so to be here. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, she came back for her second day, so this should say something. We're very <laughs> excited to have you. She didn't run. And in the booth, we have Amanda Wang making it sound great. Hey, Amanda. Hello. And our guest of honor today, we're very excited, is Anna Moulet. She is the Interim Executive Director of Slow Food USA. News, guys, you heard it here first. And <laughs> hey, everyone. Yes, welcome, yeah. welcome. And Thank you. And we're going to talk a little bit in a moment about um, an exciting um, initiative that Slow Food is doing right now. They announced it yesterday. I'm teasing it. We'll come back to it. You don't. <laughs> want to miss it consider yourselves teased (laughs) (laughs) we have another teaser which is that uh keep an eye on your inbox on saturday mid-morning about i don't know what do we say 10 45 ish eastern time um for some more special announcements from hrn Mm. having to do with our (coughs) hall of fame um the esteemed coming out the esteemed hall the hall of fame of riches um do we have any announcements before, other than our Hall of Fame February announcement, do we have any announcements before we do our headlines? Go outside. <laughs> so nice. It, do it. Yeah, my announcement is it, it won't be February forever. That's what my calendar tells me. <laughs> it's and almost I over. Believe it. Yes. I hope. Over. I yes. pray. Um, we are going to have a call-in in just a moment um, that I'm going to tease a little bit right now um we are going to be in charleston for charleston wine and food in just a couple of weeks um in just a few moments we're going to have a call in with someone that we're going to hang out with while we're in charleston but first uh let's do a few of our headlines 
Let's hear it. All right. Um, New York City Beer Week starts on Saturday. So after you check out our Hall of Fame listing, get ready to drink a lot of beer. This year, more breweries from upstate and out of state are attending than ever before. And on this week's episode of Beer Sessions Radio, host Jimmy Carboni talks with Coney Island Brewing Company, Alewife Brewing, Island to Island Brewery, and beer consultant James Ty. So tune in to hear what beers and events they're most excited about and how to navigate the bounty of breweries attending. Wow. This week on In the Sauce or In the Sauce, host Allie Kane is joined by Homa Dashtaki, founder of the yogurt company White Mustache. We're big fans of White Mustache. Um, it, the handmade yogurt was inspired by her family's cooking traditions and has attracted a cult-like following and a wait list of over 30 retailers. That is a good position to be in. She talks with Allie about, the authentic- about authenticity and scale. Can they coexist? What gets sacrificed when your company grows and when it doesn't? And uh, this week, uh, Dr. Monica M. White joined host Korsha Wilson on A Hungry Society to talk about the history of farming in black liberation, uh, her favorite restaurants in Madison, and her new book, Freedom Farmers, Agricultural Resistance, and the Black Freedom Movement. Um, Monica is an assistant professor in environmental justice, urban agriculture, and community food systems at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I listened to that interview, and it is Fantastic. You should all listen to it. And hint, hint, it ties in with our theme for Meet and Three this week. So you can do some pre-listening leading up to your Friday launch of Meet and Three. Yes. All right. Those are our headlines. Um, Just note, those are three of our 35 weekly shows. So um, make sure that you're tuning in to everything that is on Heritage Radio Network. All right, so um, we're still waiting on our call-in guest, so we're going to move in now to one thing we're super excited to talk about with Anna, which is the drumroll, (laughs) (laughs) Slow Foods Plant a Seed campaign. Yes. Anna, what is it? Slow Food Plant a Seed campaign is all about biodiversity. It's about tradition and innovation and about getting flavor back onto our plates by growing your own food and getting new seeds that you've never tried before into the ground. So we put together these amazing kits. um, And this year we are pairing, um, to tease out the idea of tradition and innovation, we're pairing a seed from the Ark of Taste, which I will explain in a minute. Hold that thought. (laughs) With row seven seeds. Hold that thought. Um, (laughs) To kind of see the heritage seed community meeting this kind of more innovative, new breeding community. So the Ark of Taste is this idea of, you know, back to Noah's Ark, the animals boarding two by two and trying to preserve the animals from the flood. Um, We're preserving seeds. So we have seeds that have been nominated really all around the world that are endangered. So, you know, we think a lot about endangered animals, but for the Ark of Taste, we're looking at endangered food products. So mostly seeds, plants. Um, There are some animals on the Ark of Taste as well. Um, And these are these are seeds with a rich cultural history with a lot of stories behind them that really mean a lot to a local community, but have been endangered because of, you know, commodification, shipping. So, for example, the Long Island cheese pumpkin, you know, um, farmers prefer the round pumpkins because they're easier to ship. They're more um uh, they have a higher yield, but the Long Island cheese squash is delicious and it's really fun to grow. And so we're highlighting that seed in the um, plant a seed campaign this year. And we're pairing that um, Long Island cheese pumpkin with Robin's coconut squash from row seven. So row seven was actually started by um, or co-founded by Chef Dan Barber, along with a breeder and a, a seed planter and um it's uh, it's a sweet little squash. It has um, it's like a little round ball. It's really cute and delicious. Mm. So we're pairing those two seeds, and then we have a sweet pea from the Ark of Taste and Row Seven, and we have a beet from Ark of Taste and Row Seven. So we are sending these kits. We're currently my office is insane right now. It's like full <laughs> of boxes, and um, we have uh, you know seed boxes, but also some. A little slow food grows here sign for your garden. Oh, that's so cool. yeah, it's a little snail on it. So we have that that we're shipping out with it, and um, we're sending these to school gardens around the country. 
Um, so a lot of school gardens, you know, have these um, teaching gardens, learning gardens for kids. So this is a great opportunity to teach kids about biodiversity. Um, and we're sending them to chefs, to slow food chapters across the country, and then for individuals who want to buy them. So I'm really excited. This campaign has like been in the works for a very long time, and now I'm I'm like giving birth to the campaign, and it's it's live. So <laughs> how um, much is it to to buy if you're an individual? It's thirty five dollars for an individual. So that's Amazing. six seed packets wow. plus a sign um, and a very cool poster and some other swag. That's incredible. Yeah. So what's the importance behind the innovation and tradition? And like why, why choose seeds to represent those two things? Yeah, so um, tradition and innovation, I mean, I think often like heritage seed is, um, or heritage foods are pitted against technology and food. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, forward motion with startups doing you know, these interesting food um, uh, businesses, and we don't want to set tradition against innovation. We want to see how they work hand in hand. And really, it's all about flavor. It's all about biodiversity and how important, like increasing the options that we have on our plate are to today. Um, and this year, you know, we're focused more on tradition, innovation, and flavor. Last year, the Plant to Seed campaign was really focused on climate change, which is such an important topic, so key today. Um, but we found it's a bit of a hard conversation starter with some people. It can get pretty heavy pretty quickly. So um, looking at biodiversity is tied to more directly to flavor and just like, this is delicious. You should just eat it because it tastes good. That gets you into the conversation. And then you can have those more maybe in-depth conversations about climate change and what it means to the planet. And so how, if someone is just starting their garden for the first time and they want to get the, get the kit and use that to like kickstart their garden and they don't know if they have a green thumb or not, are these fairly easy plants to grow? Yes, these are fairly easy. And we have some um, guidelines and instructions for how to get you started. We have a Facebook group for some um, network support for, you know, if you're struggling with something, you can ask a question. And there's a lot of expert gardeners on there, too. Was it challenging to find seeds that would grow in every region that your members are in the U.S.? Yeah, this is a challenge of being a national organization, right? You have to find seeds that start... Um, that do well in Texas all the way to New York here in the snow. And um, yeah, I think these that, that was some of the criteria for choosing these seeds. They had to be easy to grow. They had to work well across the United States and they had to be fun and delicious, basically. So um, I think I, I'm pretty confident in these choices. I'm going to grow them myself, so we'll see. I'll report back at the, <laughs> at the end of the summer and let you know how easy they were to grow. But um, yeah, it should be fun. And you're based in New York, so you're growing these seeds in New York. Yes, I have a little deck, and so I'm a container gardener. We'll see how they have it goes. Wow, I'm impressed by that. I don't have a deck, so I wouldn't know where to grow them. I have a toddler, Hudson, so I'm going <laughs> to teach him how to... Nice. I'm excited for the peas especially, actually, because they he likes peas, and I think he'll be excited for those. Nice. Yeah. That's amazing. So, Anna, you are the interim executive director of Slow Food USA mm-hmm. um, pretty recently, um, before that, your position was the director of communications and campaigns. That's right. So I assume that you're still obviously doing a lot with that, with Plant a Seed and with Slow Food Nations. But um, yeah, so tell us about your role with communications and strategy and um, the campaigns and then like what you're currently working on beyond the Plant a Seed campaign. Yeah, well, the, the mission of Slow Food USA is really a, around campaigns like this, Plant a Seed campaign, events like Slow Food Nations, and partnerships, you know, working with different individuals, companies, um, uh, other nonprofits who are aligned with us. Um, so a big part of what we're doing this spring is Slow Food Nations. This is our, our um, annual festival, international festival in Denver, Colorado. We loved having Heritage Radio on site last year. And so much fun. Yeah, it was great. And it brings together, you know, farmers and foodies, chefs and growers and kids and, you know, all sorts of people under this banner of good, clean and fair food. So we're really excited for another banner year of Slow Food Nations and having you guys back at the festival will be amazing. Um, so between the campaign and the festival, that's pretty much um, consuming my my world these days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for those who aren't um, familiar with Slow Food Nations, uh, can you kind of give a quick synopsis on why it's in Denver, 
what about Denver makes it such a cool event and um, kind of a quick overview of what people can expect when they walk through downtown Denver on Slow Food Nations weekend. So Slow Food is actually an international organization. It started in Italy, and in Italy, every other year, they have a big event called Terra Madre, Salone de Gusto. Um, and that brings together slow food leaders from around the world and um, merchants and exhibitors and so many tastings and workshops. And so Slow Food Nations was modeled off of Terra Madre. We do it every year, and we chose Denver because it's a really interesting um, model of agriculture and cuisine in our country today. It's not a coastal city. You're not getting kind of the coastal elites of New York and um, San Francisco. You're getting kind of uh, middle America. Um, but in a city that's growing really quickly, there's a lot of chefs and media and um, producers moving there. You look at the skyline of Denver and it's just exploding. It's um, so much happening there. So we found a lot of amazing partners in Denver. The city of Denver, the Tour Visit Denver, the Tourism um, Bureau have been amazing partners. So we found a warm reception there and we're excited to keep keep going there in Denver. Uh, in terms of what people can expect, we closed down downtown Denver in Larimer Square. We have about a, like a four-block um, footprint. And this year, we are mixing in our merchants. So we have about 100 producers of, of good food come and sample and taste and share their stories with people. And then we have, um, we have workshops. We have taste demos we have a, a like a kitchen counter we'll, we'll do um, cooking demos we have free talks so there's a lot of free activities kids activities and fun family activities karaoke we had last year it was really <laughs> it was really fun um, and then it's so it's a mix of like that very public facing um, fun food education mixed with like a deeper dive about issues today. So last year we did a talk about Me Too in the food movement. We did a talk about um, regenerative agriculture. We do these deeper dive talks for people who really want to go to the next level with food. Um, and on the Friday we have a leader summit. So we have um, you know, slow food leaders from around the country come together, but also people who are really working in food. And that's a chance to come together around specific topics. So we talk about biodiversity or climate change or school gardens and that kind of policy, those kinds of issues. Awesome. And there's also, did you mention a leadership summit? Yeah, the leader summit oh, yes. is on Friday. Yes. Yep. And we have some parties too, of course. It's all, it's about good food tasting. So we have um, a Colorado made party on Friday night. We have another party Saturday night. Um, we have this really fun zero waste family meal on Sunday afternoon, which basically takes um, food that would have been wasted over the weekend. Um, and a group of chefs come together and create these really amazing recipes, repurposed um, food waste from the festival and serve it up family style. It's one of our like favorite events, signature events. Mm -hmm. yeah. What are you most excited to eat in Denver? In Denver? Yeah, I think um, that's a great question. I think that um, just seeing like the um, some of the international groups come in. We have some international slow food groups. And last year we had an interesting sake producer come in from Japan who had a great story about, you know, producing sake through the... Um, some natural disasters there. So so that's been a really interesting, I think the more that story is tied to food, it creates a more interesting landscape on your on your plate. Yeah. We agree. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, and Denver is just like a really awesome city to like want to spend extra time in. Um, I got to go in a few couple days early last year and um, I ate a lot of really good Mexican food. So oh, nice. for anyone who's going out for Slow Food Nations, I say give yourself some time <laughs> to enjoy some green chili burritos. I need to learn from you. I feel like <laughs> we we do a lot of working when we're out there. So I'll uh, bring yeah. I'll bring you some yeah, burritos. Bring me some. <laughs> you got it. Okay, got it. perfect. And maybe a cinnamon roll. Yeah, a cinnamon roll. Wasn't that the place? Oh yeah, we went to that amazing roadside place right before we went to the airport. Remember? Oh my! Yeah, you guys gosh. told me about it, and you didn't bring me. It was bring really me good because that was it my was a total yeah. greasy spoon. Mm -hmm. It was what you need after a long festival weekend. <laughs> Perfect. Of celebrating good food is like some like kind of, you know, kind of not good food, but like kind of great. 
And it was better than airport food would have been. So mm-hmm. I think yeah. it really saved yeah. us from that. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So let's take a super short break. We'll come back. We'll talk more slow food. And um, maybe we'll have that call in. And then we'll play some trivia. All right. We'll be right back. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Welcome back to HRN Happy Hour. My name is Kat Johnson. I'm here with the rest of the HRN crew. And our guest today is Anna Muley, the Interim Executive Director of Slow Food USA. And we were just chatting about Slow Food Nations. One thing we didn't cover is when Slow Food Nations is happening this year. Oh, of course. We should talk about yes. that. <laughs> Slow Food Nations is July 19th through 21st in Denver, Colorado. And tickets just went on sale for the wow. Leader Summit. Um, the rest of our programming will be announced May 1st. Um, so the full lineup of both free talks and um, paid workshops. So it's a mix. It's like free entry to the event. Um, lots to do for free. Lots of tasting and fun to be had. But we do have some ticketed workshops, demos, and um, talks. And um, let's talk a little bit more about the Leader Summit. Because I think that it's something that people might feel is like, only focused towards the industry, but is it open to the public as well? It's totally open. Yeah. yeah, it's a great mix of students who are just interested in the food movement, slow food leaders who are, you know, involved in their local chapters, but also people interested in policy or school gardens or um, biodiversity. So it's a pretty interesting mix of, of folks and a great place for networking. We went um, to a really interesting event at the Leader Summit. Uh, last year where it was uh, Kate Cox from the New Food Economy. They've done a ton of work last year. They really like focused on meat on on their um, yeah. publication. And so they she led a conversation among a lot of meat experts. And not only were there experts in the panel, but also in the audience. So you really got this, the question and answer almost turned into like, a 101 on meat consumption. Mm-hmm. So it's it's super special because you're truly in a room with with like everyone who who has something to contribute. It's not just like listening to experts on stage. Although then you go into um like the last event of the day where you have um uh you know Raj Patel and you're like yep. he's like one of the smartest people in any room <laughs> he's in. So it's it's a super cool experience, and will it be at Johnson and Wales again? We're still figuring that out. Okay. The the location, um, yeah, it'll be at a, a similar kind of space. Um, we have to confirm the details, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a great way to meet new people. But like you say, it's real. You know, it's a mix of people who are just new to the conversation, but really want to dig in and learn more, and then people who have been doing this for years and who have a lot to say and a lot of interesting feedback for the for the panels. Um, it's a good time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're mentioning earlier that, that a big part of your role is also really trying to introduce people to slow food who have never heard of it before. What's, what's like the inherent challenge in that when someone's like, well, what is slow food? And you want to just say, well, it's what it says. It's <laughs> slow food. But how do you kind of, how do you get people to kind of come into the fold for the first time? You know, yeah, that's a great question. I think starting with flavor is a really natural place, um, especially for kids and you're really for anyone. It's about having an amazing eating experience. And if you can start there with, you know, the 
you know, where did that food come from? And then you start telling the story of that food. You make the connection between the eater and the producer or the farmer. How do we get from, you know, how did this food get there? So I think it's a lot about storytelling. That's why I love the Arc of Taste and this Plant a Seed campaign, because we start with flavor and start with, um, you know, let's actually grow this food now and take that step. Um, but we try to create some really simple calls to action to help people engage and take that next step. So, for example, last year we've worked with um, Meatless Monday, and that's a very simple campaign, right? Just cut out meat once a week, period. You know, or or um, food waste. You know, spend a week thinking about food waste and reducing, you know, the, the food that's wasted. So we're trying to create these very simple calls to action. That's not like, you know, blow up your life and move to, you know, a farm and start farming. <laughs> but like every day we make choices with our fork. We make political choices. We make um, really important environmental decisions. And how can we be smarter about that? And then... So you work at the national level with Slow Food, but can you explain a little bit about the chapters and the structure of the organization in that way? Yeah, so Slow Food, the mothership of Slow Food is in Italy. Slow Food International is based in um, Bra, Italy, and we work really closely with them. So, for example, even working with these campaigns, okay, how can we launch those internationally and, and work together more and more? Um, so then Slow Food USA is the national, and then um, local chapters, we have about 150 local chapters throughout the U.S. There's local chapters all over the world, but in the U.S. it's about 150. And they have varying, um, every chapter um, really changes its programming and focus based on what's important in that community and what's important to the leadership of that chapter. So some chapters are really focused on school gardens, for example. Some are really focused on policy and advocacy. Some are more focused on chefs and restaurant communities. So it really, it really depends. Um, here in New York, for example, they work with a school in East New York called the U Ujima Garden. They do some amazing programming, summer camps with, with kids out there. So it really depends on what's happening in the local community. And that sort of like mission is just really set at a local level. Like how, in what way does the national um, organization like influence local chapters in any capacity? Yeah, I mean, we all are under this banner of good, clean and fair food for all. That's the underpinning of all the slow food work. And so we... Um, you know, that mission is um, across the slow food movement, whether it's international or local. Um, and so that kind of guides the work of all the local chapters. Awesome. And if someone wants to get involved in a local chapter, how can they find out about it? Yeah, we have a listing of the local chapters on our website. Um, and there are, uh, if you don't find a chapter, you can start one or get involved. We have membership. Um, so to be a member of Slow Food, you get discounts at events and campaigns like this and can be an active supporter of the movement. And um, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities to be involved. It's a network of volunteers. So it's the kind of thing where if you don't see something, you can make it happen. It's um, awesome. pretty interesting. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, Anna, we're going to press pause for one second. Okay. We're going to come back. Don't get too relaxed, though, because we're playing <laughs> trivia in a minute. Okay. Um, right now, we're super excited. We have that call-in guest we've been teasing. Um, chef Greg Collier is the chef at Uptown Yoke, a chef-driven breakfast restaurant at 7th Street Public Market in Uptown Charlotte. Greg, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. How are you? How's everybody? Good. How hey, are you? Thanks for calling in, Greg. No problem. No problem. I'm calling in. Uh, a little bit of a long work day, but it's all right. It's normal. So. Oh, yeah. You wrapped up now? Yeah, I'm cool. I'm outside. Uh, I got done with inventory and all of the crazy stuff that we had to do on a day-to-day -day basis. So, <laughs> oh, good. Uh, looking forward to talking. Oh, yeah. man. So we're going to be seeing you in a couple of weeks at Charleston Wine and Food Festival. Um, yeah. But we're, uh, we're really excited to learn a little bit more about um, what you're doing in Charlotte and then uh, what you're thinking for Charleston and what you're most looking forward to at the festival. Um, so I guess I'll go backwards. Um, I... Um, I know that Charleston has always kind of been the southern food town. So um, every time we go do an event there, I think it's very important um, to make sure that you come with your A game. You know, a lot of the a lot of the big name chefs have come out of Charlotte or started at Charlotte as home. I mean, Charleston, excuse me, as home base. So I'm looking forward to just getting down there and cooking. And plus, Kevin Mitchell, B.J. Dennis, a few more folks are like you know 
some extended family. So mm. we're looking forward to doing that and hanging out with them a little bit while we're down there. That's a fun crew for sure. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So tell us about um, Uptown Yoke and why you decided to focus on breakfast food. I need to know. So um, breakfast focusing on breakfast food was um, more of happenstance than a plan. Um, so I went to, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, born and raised. Um, kind of worked, you know, some mom and pop spots, hot wings, joints while I was there. And then I went to culinary school in Scottsdale, Arizona. And I did the whole resort scene out there for like, you know, five or six years. And um, I wanted to come back because I felt like I had something in me and I, and I missed the South and, you know, the good and the bad of the South. I just missed the South and I wanted to get back um, engaged back in the community and, you know, started using more Southern products and stuff. Um, so when we were making that decision, Charlotte made sense. I think the food scene was at a place, but I don't think it had really developed as what it is now. Um, and I wanted the opportunity to, well, versus going to Charleston, trying to fit in. I wanted to go to a place that I could create something or I could be a part of something that was being created. So when we moved to Charlotte and was looking for jobs, couldn't find jobs. And we ended up finding this like hole in the wall, 1200 square feet diner. And I was like, this is going to be my farm to table, nine course um, soliloquy to Southern food. I'm a, uh, I'm a black chef. I was like, wow, I'm about to do some crazy stuff. And I went in with my wife and we saw hot dogs on the grill and barbecue sauce on the wall. And she was like, yeah, babe, you got to do breakfast. So um, <laughs> we went from, I went from wanting to do this huge grand farm to table restaurant in a small space with like 30 seats um, to having a wake up call and realizing that the only way I really could get people to trust me is to try to present them with the best food I could present them with at a price point. If That's... I tell you to try something brand new for a hundred dollars, you're going to be like, no, 10 bucks, maybe. That's awesome. And I think that that's super spot on. I think that it's hard to bring this super outside the box concept to a town like Charlotte that just really wants to eat good food. Absolutely. And we were in a suburb of Charlotte uh, right across the border in Rock Hill. So they, they had even, they had developed even less than Charlotte had developed. So it was, I didn't want to do it. I'm stubborn. Um, but I married a woman who was more stubborn than me. So she was like, nah, if you're going to make me do this, we, we're going to, we're going to do it where it makes sense. And even then, like we started using stone ground grits before, um, most of the people that were in, in, in Rock Hill were doing it. And we were working with local eggs, uh, working with local farmers doing, you know, just like egg white omelets with local mushrooms and using local eggs for a lot of people. That was new just because we actually went and tried to source those things locally. So really quick, I have to ask you about soul food sessions. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So soul food sessions is a collective of African-American chefs um, who who are trying to change the hospitality industry through um, mentorship, scholarship, and kind of just promotion of African-American chefs in different places. We all we all were kind of we all have worked in the fine dining industry before. Obviously, I had the breakfast restaurant. Two of the three of the members had two different food trucks, and um, one of the our, our pastry chef was kind of doing um, I won't say simple, but like cupcakes and stuff like that. She really hadn't got the opportunity to show everybody what she could do. So we decided to do a dinner together. Our first dinner was four courses, and we specifically picked collard greens, chicken, stuff that was. You know, stereotypical in the, in the, I guess, soul food, African-American, black food canon. So we picked those things to kind of push them a little bit. I even did a dish um was fried chicken skins with watermelon hot sauce. You know, obviously, watermelon wow. and chicken skin is kind of really stereotypical. And I we knew that. it was going to be good, but, yeah, and it was delicious. You know what I mean? But <laughs> it was just one of those things to kind of push at a stereotype. Uh-huh. So, and that's where we started. Then last year we had the tour with Coca-Cola Consolidated, and, and now we're looking to... We had a great dinner at Charleston last year at the Dewberry. It was really fun. Everybody came out and supported us. So it was really great. Very awesome. cool. Um, We're going to be seeing you um, in just a couple of weeks at the Springer yeah, Mountain Farms yeah. activation at uh, Charleston Wine and Food. So you're going to be cooking on the fire pit, right? Um, any chance you can tease what you're making for us? So um, one of one of the different things that I like to do as far as southern food, I like to be able to push it a little bit. Um, just from my perspective. So I'm doing what I'm calling the Southern Bon Me. So um, I love Bon Me. I love Vietnam. I like like the thought process of all ethnicities and cultures doing street food, like doing really cheap 
interesting riffs on food and the banh mi sandwich is one of those um you know delicious things that we've kind of i won't say we've americanized it but we've definitely taken it on as ours now so i'm gonna do a southern banh mi we're gonna do a um a sweet potato biscuit um chicken liver pate with a uh, springer farms chicken we're gonna do some grilled chicken on top of that some pickled local vegetables and then we're gonna do like a like a burnt um pepper aioli so kind of the pickled carrot jalapeno pate thing but in a way that I think is going to be a little more approachable. And then when you really look at it, like biscuits and livers are kind of classic Southern anyway. So I'm just kind of playing a riff on both classic ingredients, mm-hmm. both classic uh, ideas. So. Okay. Well, just look out for a bunch of people running out of a <laughs> podcast studio towards your setup. We're going to be asking for all the bon mis. Listen, I got you. I'm going to put something to the side. So <laughs> yes, we'll please. have like 10 to 15 when I'm in a to-go box. Yeah, a little tray for us, please. Uh, well, we're that really looking right. forward to that. That sounds amazing. And uh, thank you so much. It's so nice to hear your voice and, and nice to meet you. And can't wait to see you at Charleston very soon. Absolutely. I'm looking to come down and represent for uh, Charlotte. So it's going to be fun. All right. Sounds great. Take care. Thank you. We'll see you then. All right. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, man. I'm so hungry now. Yeah. So hungry. That was like my first little like moment where I like felt like it's really around the corner. Oh, wait, we're going to Charleston. I was doing a little bit of research today. I was looking up a place called um, Hannibal's Soul Food Kitchen in Charleston that I haven't been to before. And I think that might be on my list of places to go to. But I feel like we're going to be really lucky in having apparently very good food at the culinary village this mm-hmm. year if greg has anything to say about it i'm excited because last year the funny thing is you don't realize how hungry you're going to be during a food festival because you're busy and everyone is giving you small tastings and it's like yes when yes. you're working the food <laughs> yeah, festival it's different than when Basically, you're like you yeah eat. and thank god last year our dearest <gasps> darling shy farjan brought us another an charlotte higher tray of oh, yeah. like beautiful couscous salad and I remember eating it with a tiny little bamboo fork like I love you thank you so much it was much. like five of us gathered around this foil tray of couscous just like shoveling it in it was like five o'clock and uh, but he was like the only one Shai, who got it saved us yeah. he, so now we've like, got Greg on our team yeah, yeah everyone was like oh we'll bring you like a taste of this and Shai's like I know what they need an entire tray of real food yes and it's true so good the first year of Slippy Nations after the first big dinner everyone was eating and partying and we were all working it was like 11 p.m and i'm like i am hungry (laughs) yeah i'm like i went out to some place and just got a sandwich i'm like i don't know i have not eaten at all today yeah it's crazy um i think i know that some festivals put together not necessarily festivals so much as like I went to the Southern Foodways Alliance uh, Symposium, which is just one day of programming. And so they put together this really nice, like where to go eat out the rest of the weekend. Um, And I think that for festivals, obviously you're going to be there all day. Most people are going to be eating all day. But for people working the festival, it would be super great to put together like a late night cheat sheet because that's when Mm -hmm. you actually get the opportunity to go eat. Or when to get fast food like yes. good fast food like i don't want to wait in, i can't wait nope. in a line just, i can't sit down <laughs> I, can't sit. I can't go in i don't want to be in the car for half an hour i just need to eat where we, can i we, go find something good we've gotten better as the festival matures of like having catering in the office so when Smart. you stop by you can grab something and go yeah, yeah. um all right well all this all this festival talk has just yeah. got me like so hungry fun. and like a little bit like psychologically exhausted mm-hmm. i think i'm like fast forwarding to like ends of days but it's i'm super excited i'm like ready to go um we're now gonna do some trivia so in in relation to the plan a seed campaign Aaliyah, our new intern has done an incredible job writing some trivia based on the arc of taste and who has not seen the answers i have not seen the answers i also have not all right so So we're your team yes great all right. <laughs> She's like, great. <laughs> All right. Let's Are you feeling confident in your okay, team? Let's go. Let's, okay. Let's do it. Question number one. What is another name for the groundnut, the main ingredient in the iconic Charleston street candy known as the groundnut cake? The groundnut. Yeah. This is a type of peanut, right? Correct. Is that the answer? Okay. A plus. Correct. Right. That this. one really makes me think of David Shields. Mm-hmm. I think he's like a big fan of the ground nut. Yep. Him and um, uh, oh, Glenn Roberts. But it's not another. Isn't it a different type? I mean, is there a difference between the ground nut and the peanut? I think they're like cousins. Okay. I think yeah. 
I think it's like a variety, like a tangential right, variety. Right. Um, yes. I think it's supposed to be sweeter than a peanut. Is that right? Didn't we have some in Charleston two years ago? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's smaller. Delicious. Right? I think I feel so. like when I was in Uganda, they had a G-nut. They call it G-nut oh. stew. It's mm, like a really delicious um, yeah, soup. Interesting. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys can hear, like, all of this talk is just like my stomach rumbling. <laughs> <laughs> We're almost there. Okay. All right. Question number two. In Alaska, where maples are scarce, a different tree is used to make the syrup included in the Ark of Taste. What kind of trees does this syrup come from? Ooh. Do you know? <laughs> I, okay, a maple, a maple-like Maple-like tree. tree that makes syrup. A that's sappy common tree. in Alaska. In Alaska. Do is it know, some Katie? kind of birch? I don't know. Like, birch? is it a birch? It's yeah. a birch. Okay. <laughs> is that is it is that the answer or is it a specific it's type a of birch? It's a birch tree. Alaskan okay. birch. Because I was thinking about like beer, like you make birch beer. Right, so there must right. be like some sense. kind mm-hmm. of flavorful sappy. Mm. So, that's, so huh. it's, I believe the Alaskan birch syrup is what's on the Ark of Taste. So it's, it's, um, the Ark of Taste is like not necessarily always a seed. It can be. Yeah. A exactly. Food. A food product. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, question number three. From what state's cuisine did at least seven items in the Ark of Taste originate, including varieties of cream cheese, French bread, strawberries, and merletons? Is that how you say it? I've got an idea. I mean, it feels because like you said French bread. It's got to... Well, what do you think? No, go ahead. I was going to say New York, but I just love New York. Oh. And I feel like everything... No. Everything's from New York. <laughs> I, I vote Louisiana. I was going to say Louisiana. Louisiana. Correct. Ah. Yeah. Um, would the French bread be like the types of bread that you use on like a po' boy? It's got to be, right? Because we have we have a whole thing on modernist breadcrumbs about it's a types very, of it's regional a, bread. But it's po' boy bread is like a specific bread. And mm-hmm. it's not the same as a baguette. But it's no. a variation It's on also different so than sense. a hoagie. Yeah. yeah. Which is also, speaking of bangmi... Also used in bang mi because the French yes. colonized mm-hmm. Vietnam, and so that's when a, the bread came. A po' boy and a banh mi are like cousins. <laughs> cousins. <laughs> like All it, these foods are cousins. <laughs> po' boy is to banh mi as, as groundnut is to peanut. <laughs> you got it now. Um, all right, question number four. Although these tiny husk heirlooms are technically tomatoes, mm. they are so sweet that they're named after a, a fruit popular in pies. The Ark of Taste includes a Polish variety called Aunt Molly's. What is the ground cherry? Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Aunt we actually Molly's included the Aunt Molly ground cherry in the plant a seed kit year one. Oh. And I tried to grow it at home and it was a complete oh, failure. No. Oh, no. I think I just, I, I was, I think that was the year I... You know, I had a one-year-old at home. I was not paying attention to my garden, so yeah. Uh, raising another kind water. of seed. <laughs> <laughs> pro tip that's not actually a pro, but I learned this um, when I tried to grow tomatillos, which is yeah. closely related. Mm-hmm. You have to have two of them. Um, ah. You can't grow a single tomatillo. Okay. So take note. I I think that I once grew a one ground cherry, and it was rather prolific. But I think if you have at least two side by side, they'll mm. do a lot better. It's a problem in New York. Mm. Yeah, I know. Space. Like you know, your your precious deck square footage. But maybe one more container, or maybe just let them lean out the sides. Yeah, they're really popular with school gardens because they're mm. fun for kids to kind of yeah. unwrap, and they're sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little present. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, next question. Can you name two of the seven breeds of turkeys included in the Ark of Taste catalog? Two of the seven breeds. Um, I should call a Patrick for this. One. I know. I'm yeah. like, I, I've got to know the this. The red. Bourbon They're, red. That's one. Bourbon red. Okay. New Hampshire something. There's not a New Hampshire what? something. but oh, I, it's not on the Ark of Taste. Okay, that must be I one of I think I might know... Um, it might be New Hampshire something. The bourbon red. Oh, there's so many more, though. There's a couple more that are, like, colors. There's a bronze. Yes. It's a... Uh, what kind of bronze? Mm, it's uh, a... <laughs> what country are we in? Are we playing what Mad Libs? <laughs> American bronze? Yes. American no. <laughs> bourbon red. Ameri- American this, this could also be, like, whiskeys. Yeah. There's right. a white one, right? Is there's there a one? midget white. Oh. <laughs> There's a black, just a just black. There's a Jersey Buff. Jersey mm. Buff. A Narragansett. Narragansett, of course. How a Royal forget? Palm. <laughs> and a Slate. Maybe that should be my next campaign. <gasps> Planet <I> Turkey. S- 
<laughs> the Gorilla Turkey Campaign. <laughs> I send out boxes. Boxes of turkey eggs. Just yeah. chicks, like turkey chicks. You know, when I was Just growing up, we raised turkeys growing up. And we used to get, we'd do, like, go pick up our turkey yeah. turkeys at the post at office. At the postal yeah. service, It was right? so fun, yeah. We didn't raise them growing up, but I grew up, like, in a pretty rural area and my dad decided to have turkeys once and so we had two of them and I have a photo of me as like a three-year-old sitting on the back of a turkey. Who's like, bigger? Riding it. Why? Sa- like is same this, size. Yeah. Why is this not like your staff photo on our website? I That's what I want to know. Seriously? <laughs> it's like, and I have this look on my face like, what? Like, I bet, the, I mean, I can't speak for Patrick, but I bet if you gave them that photo, they would give you a turkey yeah. for prob- Thanksgiving. Maybe I should do that next year. I think you should. Because I'm now up to two turkeys for Thanksgiving because we have mm-hmm. so many people that want to eat turkey. So I need I need whatever turkey discount I can get. <laughs> we do the side-by-side <laughs> mini turkeys, too, which is yeah. always nice because they don't take as long to cook yeah. and they're like, oh, yeah. tender. So we do, like, double nines. Yes. I approve that message. Um, okay, next question. What are the green, often foraged alum? I can't say this word. Alliums. Alliums that the Ark of Taste calls the harbingers of spring. I mean, I know so many people who know all these questions with the snap of a finger. This is like this is the thing that pops up on uh, high end menus because it's like trendy. Oh, ramps. Ramps. Oh, ramps. Ramps. Yeah. ramps. Wild ramps, which are funny that they call them wild ramps because you can't really have domestic ramps. Like, that's the whole thing, right? right? Yeah. I mean, I think you can try, but, like, they don't grow very well. They have to be kind of in a swamp-ish place. All right. You got a couple more questions. What is the name for the concentrated syrup made from fruit, vinegar, and sugar that was a popular day drink in colonial times and has today seen a resurgence for use in specialty cocktails? Hint, it's also a name for a bush or a small tree. <laughs> it's something it? you might find when you're foraging for ramps in the near vicinity. You can get them at, at the same it's, time. I'm not a bush, I'm a shrub. <laughs> That's right. Oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> Wait for the ding. All right, last question. I didn't see this question until just now. This is a really good addition, Leah. <laughs> Um, what, what, you're going to find out why it's a good question in a minute. What ruminants can be found in YouTube videos displaying a behavior known as myotonia cogenita, where their muscle cells contract and they fall over suddenly. Oh yeah. The breed has been valued for having excellent meat to bone ratio and very little (laughs) body fat. Also, uh, I'm sure they will one day be our pet. Chris, if you're still listening, I think you're probably like bursting right now. <laughs> Hannah? Meh. <laughs> Meh. That's goat for. Are the, it's the, it's the, I forget what the fainting goats are called. That's the fainting I mean, goats. That's what I have. <laughs> <laughs> AKA. My spirit animal. Myotonic. I think I'm saying that right. Tennessee fainting. I think it's myotonic. Myotonic. Or they're, Myo-like. Also, they're also known Muscles. as. Here goes my phone. They're also known as the Texas wooden leg, stiff, nervous, and scared goats. What? Is that the whole name? Shut Texas wood legs, <laughs> stiff, the, nervous, and scared. That's the Latin possible names. Oh, oh, it's okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wait, oh but is it gosh. Texas wood leg or Texas goat? Texas wooden wood leg? Goat. Is there a comma? I don't. It says, <laughs> AKA myotonic, Tennessee fainting, Tennessee meat, t- Texas wooden leg, stiff, Nervous and scare goats. Can you read yeah. that again? Texas really wooden fast. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds really stressful to be a Texas wooden leg stiff I, and scared I had some meat neighbors, goat. I had some neighbors growing up that had some fainting goats. And it just seemed like you had them to torture them, which I didn't I mean, really, I wasn't really kind of, like. Of. I feel really bad about it because, like, yeah, it's sort of, I don't know. Maybe you do it once and then it's just kind of mean after like, that. Aw, I don't know. Poor guy. Like, wait, but that's really in the work. arc of taste. I didn't know yes. that they were for eating. Well, they have. They don't have. I mean, they're probably well. Guys, maybe that originated because they were easy. They have. They're easy to catch. They have excellent they meat to bone ratio and very little body fat. But actually, that was part of why they were popular: is they wouldn't climb fences and get into trouble like all other goats <laughs> like to do. They're self-regulating they goats. Yes, exactly. Oh, wow. do they make good apartment animals? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they would love to like, cohabitate with our wild young lab. 
think that would go over really well. <laughs> I have a goat theory. The cuter the name you give a goat, the more demonic it is. That's ac- mm. I think that's accurate. We had a goat named Pudding growing up, and it was <laughs> the devil incarnate. <laughs> Oh. That's all I have to say for the rest of the show. <laughs> well, um, we've Drop got it. <laughs> Anna, you won trivia. Congratulations. Oh, okay. And uh, I like the um, Grow Turkey campaign. Maybe I'll run that. I'm yeah. <laughs> Just don't send them things through. Don't send them through the mail service. If we've learned anything mm-hmm. today, it's that the post office is not going to get things to people on time. Mm-hmm. And you want them to get to people on time. And uh, hand delivered turkeys. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if you guys saw any social media from our host party back in January, where we enjoyed a, a pretty solid turducken that was uh, spun out of a meat and three episode that we did. But uh, and stay tuned not for, on the arc of for turkey related <laughs> updates from Charleston. Just saying. Turkey related updates from and Charleston. Turducken. Oh. We have a, a surprise coming. Yeah, it's your idea, so oh. I'm surprised. Yeah, remember that idea. You remember that your idea. So good. Remember the idea that I had that now I don't remember because we're doing it. I'm so Stay so tuned. much further into planning. Be careful yes. what you say around here. I guess is the, the moral. Yes. yes. Now they're doing it. Well, yeah, it's happening. The hint mm-hmm. is Cynthia Wong is a genius. <gasps> All right, that's All our right. foreshadowing. Teaser, teaser. <laughs> we will see you next Thursday for another installment of HR and Happy Hour. Huge thank you to Anna Moulet for you. being our thank guest you. today. Pleasure. Sharing the word about Slow Absolutely. Food Nations and <laughs> Slow Food Plant a Seed. Um, I hope that you will all go and get your Plant a Seed kit because $35 is really an amazing way to get a hold of these incredibly wonderful seeds that you otherwise would have to like come up to Stone Barns for, which you can also do, which is lovely. <laughs> you but, can't um, beat it. You really and can't. And source from many different companies. Though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so check it out and uh, stay tuned next week for more of HRN Happy Hour. I'll see you next Thursday. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you. HRN Happy Hour is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com slash heritage. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.